0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host Gary Cachalillo, and before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening, and also thank the contributors to this podcast, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of *The Reluctant Messenger*, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of *Who Do Cleansing Protection Magic*. Also, binaural production engineer. Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and find everything you need there. And now, without any further ado... My guest for today is Taylor Elwood, and he has been on a few times in the past, but has been quite a while, and he has written, I don't know how many books, 20, 30, 40, 50, 43, 43, <laughs> 43 books, and uh, <clears> on <throat> all types of different topics. Thanks for coming on today.
1: Thank you for having me on. I'm glad to be back. It's been yeah. a while.
0: It has. It's great talking to you again. So, um, I mean, let's start with this most recent book, The the Magic of Creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you want to write that book? And, um, you know, like one of the top, actually, I'll start here. One of the topics one of the reasons I started this podcast, to even call it Everything Imaginable, is because nothing can begin without the creative process of first imagining it. You know? And how like like and I, that is also true with the occult and with with magic. Um, so, uh, what made you write this book, and like, what is your take on that process?
1: So, magical creativity is actually a collection of journal entries uh, on my blog that I wrote from uh, two thousand and um, <clears throat> two thousand eighteen through two thousand twenty, and so it was basically a collection of that. And while I um, and in the midst of that, I was working with, uh, like, I did a two year stint of working with the element of creativity uh, in my elemental balancing. Act. And, um, I, you, you know, what kind of, I actually do want to write a book on creativity and, and its role in magical work. But what prompted me to put this together and, and label it as such was because of that work with the element of creativity. And because I think that, as you said, you know, everything has to, have an original innovative spark and so for me uh you know creativity is, is is an element i mean most people when they think of elements they think of the five elements earth air fire water and quintessence, mm-hmm. and or spirit but my own take on elemental energies is that really uh, ele- the elementals are, are what moves us um and they 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 are primal forces of movement and I don't think of them as just being earth, air, fire, water, and quintessence. I think of them as also being stuff along the lines of like emptiness, for example, vibration, uh, creativity is another one because creativity creativity is a primal building block of life. Without creativity, we we, we really don't have any innovation. We don't have imagination. We don't have the uh, the ability to turn possibilities into reality. And I, I think it's a really uh, an important. Aspect to magical work and just life in general when you know how to take creativity and uh, turn it into something significant that impacts people's lives um, and, and impacts your own life because I'm um, creativity mm-hmm. is a process.
0: Hmm. So, with the four elements, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice a little bit today. Um, is creativity its own element or is it something that guides all four elements the earth, fire, water?
1: I would say in my for my particular system creativity is its own element, um, but that doesn't mean it can't interact with those other the, with the classical elements or any other elements either. I mean, I think that when you look at elemental energies, there is uh, again they're the primal building blocks of life. And the interesting thing is that if, if you look even at the classic model, the argument really is that you know you have earth, air, fire, water, but really. Within each of the elements, you also have a little bit of the other elements as well, because they, they ultimately, you know, play a role. And that, that's how it shows up in quintessence, which brings everything together. Well, I look at that in regards to creativity, and I think, you know, creativity is in a lot of different things. Um, you know, it could certainly be in earth, air, fire, water. um um, but it can also be in emptiness. It can be in love. It can be in all these other experiences. I mean, creativity is this. It, it, it's again, it's a very primal force. It's something that you know weaves in and out of our lives in a very profound way in order to help us turn turn possibilities into reality. When I, whether I'm writing a book or putting a paintbrush to a, a to a uh, a canvas or. Uh, creating music or if i'm coming up with some kind of in- engineering design or something like that i have to rely upon this element of inspiration that, that mm-hmm. comes from creativity in order to create something and uh without it it you know without creativity we we don't have creation i mean that's one of the reasons why you know creation <laughs> is a, a very much a root word in creativity
0: so you know I'm thinking about like the, the sign of the pentagram and how sometimes the lower four points are attributed to earth, air, fire, and water, and the top one is usually attributed to spirit. In this case, what would be like replacing the word spirit with creativity.
1: Well, or adding I, again, to it, you could you could replace it or you could add to it. But again, this is where like with my particular approach to elemental magic, it's not limited to the to the five the, mm-hmm. the pentagram. It's not limited to those five. Points. I mean, I think that those are a great place to start. But when we look at elemental energies, for example, you know, in some cultures, we'll have like emptiness or space that becomes the, the fifth element um, or spirit. But, but if we look beyond just even that five elemental role and we say, well, what else is out there? Vibration, for example, you know, we right now, you and I are talking, we're vibrating the air. Right. Um, some people would associate vibration with air, but I don't think that vibration necessarily is inherent to air, um, you, you know, again, because you could find some you could vibra- find vibration in water. You can find vibration in earth. You could find vibration in fire. It's part of everything. So, so again, it's one of those things where depending on how you really look at it, it, it allows you to redefine and say, well, what are the elements and this is actually, in, in my forthcoming book, Walking with Elemental Spirits, this is one of the questions that I explore, like, what are the elements actually? How do, we, how do we work with them? How do we transform our lives with these elemental energies? And do we have to just rely upon the classic five? Or can we look at the world in a different way and experience it in a different way than what we know? And that's kind of, that, that's where some of this, this work comes into play when it comes to the elemental energies, uh so looking at it beyond just that five elemental model
0: so if we're going beyond that five elemental model um could there potentially be an unlimited amount of different elements
1: i mean i think I, I i certainly don't see any reason why there couldn't be now some people would say well taylor that that's kind of ridiculous like how many do you want to have and i mean my answer to that would be well i mean first of all it depends on what you think of as an element and, 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 and again, this comes back to if, if we go with the classic notion of a being a primal building block of life, there's a lot of things that can still fall into that. You know, creativity being one of them, um, emptiness being another. You know, these these are things that can become part of or, or space or time. These are things that can still be filed under an essential aspect of life. I think it's really up to the practitioner to determine that. Um, I, I have, at this point, a fairly open-ended system. So I haven't yet come to the point where I've said, well, I've, I've reached the end of working with the elements. And I've been doing this work since 2004 as far as I've been working with elemental energies, actually, a lot longer than that. But, I mean, in, in terms of this, this the, the elemental balancing ritual, which is a ritual where you, you basically are mediating uh, an elemental energy for the course of a year in order to bring some balance and transformation to your life. I've been doing this work since 2004, and I haven't really found yet the point where I've been like, yep, I've gone through all the elements. So I think, you know, I think it could be lifelong work, really, if you wanted it to be, and it certainly seems to be the case for me. So it's a very primal, powerful uh, thing in this case. And I think a lot of times people, uh, y- you know, they kind of get into this notion of, well, um, We've only got these five elements, but it's like, why Why do we have to limit ourselves to that? Because people from a long time ago came up with that and that was the model. I mean, it made sense then for what it was worth, but that doesn't mean it has to make sense for us now with that same thing. And I think that a lot of times when you recognize that, you know, just because something was written about in a certain way, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. It can really allow you to transform the relationship you have. With your own spiritual path, because you're no longer limiting it and defining it in by the context of what someone said beforehand or where things came into play beforehand. Right,
0: and I completely agree with that. You know, I think um, if you know, and this applies just not, not even just to the occult, but but everything. If it's. Um, it's a good idea to always try to continue to try to look at it in new ways and apply it in different ways and, and expand it to modern knowledge. Um, you know, because the knowledge that they had, you know, a thousand years ago was not even close to what we have now. You know, in talking about elements, I'm thinking like, man, like, like if I were to like say use the, the periodic table for my elemental guide and do like one a year, that would easily take up my entire life.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could you could go down that route and work with the periodic table. I mean, there's 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 really there's a really a, a number of different possibilities that are available, and I, I think it really just comes right down to you know on the part of the practitioner, what is it that you personally resonate with and speaks to you in a manner that's going to really allow you to take this work and transform? use it to transform your life. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it's really about. Mm -hmm. And so, you you know, and again, I'm not going to knock the classic system of, of violence. It has a great role and it's a great way to introduce people into it. I just think there's more to it than just that.
0: Absolutely. And and a lot more like I've been interviewing a lot of uh, other occultists and a lot of them seem to feel the same way that you feel, Um, especially in uh, chaos magic where, um, you know, it's, it's basically, they're encouraging people to find their own way and create their own systems.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's certainly, uh, that's certainly, chaos magic has certainly played a role in my magical work. I mean, I, I got into it in my um, early 20s and, uh, you know, explored it for a while, and it still plays a role or a foundational role in a lot of my work. And how I think about things, because it really is about exploring what you know, what kind of systems can you create on your own and how can you make them into meaningful magical work?
0: You can I mean sometimes I think almost the whole purpose, like maybe you're not really a magician, or maybe I shouldn't say that. I but but one of the best ways to benefit from practicing magic is to go into it with the goal of creating your own system
1: well i mean i I think you know i'm not gonna i'm I'm not gonna say that there's anything wrong with sticking with what other people have done because i think for some people that's exactly what ends up happening and that's Mm -hmm. not a bad thing um you know people are going to get are going to make get get out of something what they find and, and, and there's such a thing as really being able to work a system and and also being able to uh to take that system or that tradition and, and work it in such a way that you, you come up with some innovations for it and, and, and bring some changes to it. So there's something to be said for that. I think that it's also worthwhile to explore creating your own systems of magic because it can teach you a lot about how you approach and think about magic. It's not something that I would recommend to somebody just starting out. I think you have to ground yourself first in, in the available knowledge you know, I didn't I didn't start experimenting with magic right out the gate. I had to learn some stuff first. I had to have some experiences. I had to I had to take 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 the the experiences that I had and the background knowledge that I had and then start to find gaps in it that would allow me to start experimenting with magic. And eventually I did come up with my own systems, but it was precisely because I had taken the time to look at all these other things that that created a foundation so i mean i would say that for someone who for example wants to create their own system first i'd say you know make sure you have some grounding in other systems of magic really learn like what makes those systems work and then figure out like what doesn't work for you out of those and then start to and then put some thought into like if i was to create my own system of magic what would i what would i do differently how would i approach things in a in a different way and keep in mind too i mean I, you know that 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 it's one of those cases where it can be, um, it can be a little, um, it can feel like you have to put a lot of pressure on yourself to create something wally original. But you don't necessarily have to. It just has to be something that makes sense to you and speaks to you in a way that allows you to transform your life in a meaningful way. Like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with necessarily sticking with something that someone else has done if that's working for you. But there's also nothing wrong with coming up with your own system as well. Right.
0: What were some of the things that you used as a foundation um, when you started learning? Like, where did you begin this journey? Like, what text did you use?
1: So, uh, when I was 16, I started reading um, a book on spirit guides by Ted Andrews and then another book on on fairy lore by Ted Andrews that was also and really kind of what he he brought in was a mixture of um, elemental hermeticism and some uh, neo-shamanic work as well and then I started reading some other books on shamanism or neo-shamanism I should say and um, integrated that into my magical work and that's what that's kind of where I started out now eventually I moved on to Golden Dawn and ceremonial magic and then and, and very and different variants of that um, through William G Gray's work, um, R J Stewart's work of, of late. Uh, but then I also started exploring, um, you know, chaos magic, of course. And then I started exploring Eastern systems, uh, Doshan and Taoism. So I, I mean, I had a bunch of different things that I've drawn on over the years, and I'm continuing to explore and read up on other people's systems of magic and then trying out the work. Because I think that, you know, you can't – if you're going to create and innovate, you have to understand what other people are doing and how it works and then figure out for yourself what works for you out of that and then what you might change because you've actually gotten some experience under your belt and you're seeing like, well, you know, this works this way, but if I made a change this way, it might work even better for me.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, when I looked at all those different types of systems – um, I used to view them as all different types of systems. However, I mean, I might be wrong, but I kind of look at it now as, you know, all these different people were trying to achieve basically the same type of end objective. Like they all had the same goal in mind and were using the things around them that they had access to and the knowledge that they had access to and the cultural Influence that they were raised with, but basically, you know, I think in the end the the, the substance or or whatever you want to call it of, of magic is the same. You can just it's just always being labeled differently.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. It's an interesting way of putting it. I mean, definitely, you know, you you have different. You do have different systems out there, you know, that people have come up with, and sometimes you have different names for for it. Mm-hmm. I think the one thing that you always have to be careful of is you don't want to apply too general of a label to anything. You you kind of want to be like, okay, well, this system is really this system, but is it? I mean, different. There, there's sometimes there's cultural context that that may be very that may provide very important clues. Sometimes. Uh Sometimes you can create an equivalence with the system and then find out later on, well, that really wasn't equivalent. I just thought it was. That's always the thing I think that's interesting when you're developing a system of your own too, because you, you really have to, you really have to think about like what are you putting into that system? And I'll, I'll use a good example of this. Um, would be correspondences. Correspondences are basically a, a thing where you're, you're creating specific associations. We'll mm-hmm. say like for example, fire equals red equals Vulcan, you know, the, the Roman god of, of forage equals um, passion or something like that. Um, you know, certainly that could be a correspondence. But the question you have to ask yourself is, how do, I, how, how do I actually come up with that correspondence? It's one thing to just slap it onto paper and say, here's a correspondence. It's another thing to actually work through that and develop it. And really come to that conclusion that, yes, this correspondence makes sense because I've done all this work around it. And as a result, I've built this ongoing vibrant relationship with the spirit, the color, the uh, other associations. And I can really see how these things come together in order to create this very meaningful interaction that I have and that can play a role in all the other work that I do. And so I would always say to anybody, like, don't just slap stuff down on paper. I mean, great, put it down on paper as a way to kind of get a, a concept of it and to think about it, but don't just think about it from there. Really think about it from the perspective of how do I meaningfully develop this relationship and turn it into something that, that is real for me? Okay, have I done this work? have I taken the time to form this relationship and, and create this necessary uh, system around it that is going to allow me to work it? And these are good questions to ask. And I think that if you're going to, if you're serious about your magical work, you really want to work, you really want to work it. You don't want to just read about it. You don't want to just, you don't, you, you, you know, you have to work it. When I talk about being able to experiment, like I would say the first two years of my magical life, for example, you know, I just read and I, I, I read books and I did the exercises in them and I took careful notes and recorded what I was doing and I didn't and, and I just worked those books until I really understood them. And then I started to experiment because at that point I started to find, well, like, here's what the limits are. Here's where things could be changed or improved upon. Let's go do that work now.
0: Hmm. So can you give me like an example of, like, how to work through an element? Like, say, you know, we wanted to work through the element of fire. Um, and, like, like would you start with the correspondences and then work those into rituals and then work them into entities? Like, what type of process would you recommend for a person to begin that, pro- you know, work through an elemental process and get to really learn how to know it and be able to utilize it?
1: The first thing I would do is say work with the actual element itself. So if we're going to work with fire, pull out a candle, light it on, light it, you know, and and work with that flame. Get to know the fire and what it feels like. You don't have to put your hand directly into the flame. Please don't, you know, you're going to burn yourself. You can feel the heat coming from the flame. Look into the flame, you know, connect with the flame. What is it telling you? How is it speaking to you? Then then think about like the colors that you associate with that flame. Why do you associate those colors with that flame? What do those colors mean? How do they how do they lead you to a better relationship with that element? Then after that, you can start you can start exploring, like, what are the spiritual significance? What, what spirits are associated with that? Maybe, for example, you go the classic route of working with the djinn, which are fire elemental spirits um, or, or the salamanders, Uh, Because those are those are. And and, and so you spend some time working with that and and you you work with the anthropomorphized form of a fire element. Maybe you end up working with the um, the elemental king and the archangel associated with with that. Or you work with a deity that's associated with fire. You know, what do those what do those interactions bring to your understanding of, of the fire? and your and your relationship to it. So you you know you're looking at you you're looking at just the simple thing of working with fire, but then you're building on these other layers, these correspondences, and developing a relationship with them. You can even apply it right down to like, you know, what vowel would I associate with fire? You know, what 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 sound would I associate with with fire that 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 could be helpful. And, and these are. This is seemingly basic work. Like some people would say, "Well, this is really basic work." But I would say it's it's very fundamental work. You want to develop a relationship with something, you take the time to build it from the ground up. You don't just go right to the end. You you have to build a good foundation. And without a foundation, or if the foundation is is faulty, the the work won't be as good.
0: Hmm. And what. Would- what is the benefit, like the, the benefit of developing a relationship with each well with each element? You know, with with any element. Like like say I I go through all this process, I develop a relationship with fire, I have my correspondences and everything else that I can create, maybe even come up with a few rituals. Um then what do I do with it?
1: Well, I think the benefit is that it allows you to work with that element in a very meaningful way in your life because you start to think, how can I apply fire to my life? You know, how can I apply it as a way to perhaps as a protection working or as a healing working or as a, uh, you know, or how can I apply it? How can I apply it to help me be more to take opportunity to take advantage of opportunities or to tap into that, that, that fiery energy when I really need it? Um, you, you know, you start to ex- you start to examine it and you say, OK, I've, I've done all this work. And, and, and at the same time, you're asking yourself, how do I apply it to my life in general? Mm-hmm. Like what if you're feeling uninspired, for example, one day Like, you get up, you got to go to work or you want to do a creative project, but you're not feeling <coughs> inspired. I mean, one of the things you could do is you could draw upon fire, get yourself, you know, draw on that fiery energy. You've worked with it enough that you've formed a relationship. And it's something where as the more you work with it, the easier it is to call upon it and connect with it and draw upon it when you need it. So I think, that, you know, again, this is one of those cases where what you're doing is you're, you're building this ongoing relationship. And it's an ongoing relationship of give and take. It's not just you taking. It's also you giving. You're giving to it in order to be able to get from it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, and that's an important thing to recognize, like, okay, if I'm taking the time to get to know this elemental energy, how does this elemental energy then translate into my life in a meaningful way? How do I apply it? When do I draw upon it? And this is something where at the very beginning, when you do this work, it's, there's a lot of conscious effort, but then as you, as you, as you work with it further, it becomes, becomes one of those things where it becomes like an unconscious competency on your part. It's just there and you can draw upon it when you need to. And when you know that you can draw upon something when you need to, that's when you know that you've really started to master that connection because it's become something integral into your life. You don't have to question it or do anything else with it. You just know. All right.
0: Interesting. So outside of some of the traditional elements, um, is there an example that you can give me of one that people would not normally use that you do?
1: Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'll, I'll use um, stillness as an example. Um, I worked with stillness for a couple of years and I think of stillness as an element. I mean, because learning how to still yourself and really just be present with yourself and or be present with something and be still can be a very uh, powerful force. It can create a sense. It, it can actually create a lot of change because when you learn to go still, you learn you learn when when to let go of trying to make something happen and actually just being present with it and allowing it in. And then from there, you're able to move with it into wherever it's going to take you. Um, so for me, you know, I worked with stillness for uh, a couple of years and well, I've worked with it more than that, but I mean, I've re- I, but there was a period of time where I was working with it exclusively for a couple of years. And for, for me, it, it kind of came down to what is the quality of stillness It was it it wasn't it didn't mean that I stopped moving or that I didn't do anything. It meant that I just became very I became very quiet and I allowed myself to really soak in the experience that I was having instead of trying to do something with that experience, instead of trying to transform it or change it or whatever else. And then, you know, I started to think, well, what if, if there were if there was a color I might associate with stillness, what would that be? The color that I can't, that I ended up coming up with ended up being, um, like a, a gray color. It was not, it wasn't necessarily like black or white or anything. It was gray. It was just this very neutral color, which I thought was an interesting realization. And, um, I didn't come up with a deity for it, but I came up more with just this experience of stillness, this, this, you know, taking a deep breath in and just being there and then breathing out and, and, And being in this place where I was being proactively aware of myself, not just reacting to something, but really allowing myself to be still and be present. And then and then like when I knew what I needed to do or what I wanted to do, because I'd allowed myself to be still being able to then take action instead of just going and reacting to something and trying to do something about it. So that to me is an experience of of stillness right there. Um, It's 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 being able to. To to do that. And, and again, this is something where I had to develop that relationship, you know, stillness, I think, in general, for many people is not a is not something that comes easily to them. uh, Because, you know, we're always on the go, we're always doing something, we're always acting on something, but sometimes learning how to go still can actually be the best choice that you make.
0: Interesting. You know, it it makes me what you described, it sounds a lot like my experience with just meditation. You know, it Mm -hmm. wasn't until I learned how to meditate and started practicing it and doing it that I realized that that I was constantly reacting. I was constantly – I was letting my thoughts control my life rather than me controlling my thoughts. And it wasn't until I I, I kind of sat down and became an observer of myself and able to step out of myself and see what was happening that I could do that.
1: Yeah, well – that's a great example. And I mean, that's, that's where meditation could be. You could associate meditation with stillness for that very reason. Not that that's the only reason you meditate, but that's mm-hmm. a great example of that. Or you could associate a specific type of breathing practice with that stillness work and use that when you needed to, um, in order to connect with it. Um, so, so again, it's, it's, it, it very much is that. And, and and so like when you look at that and you're like, okay, how do I want to embody this, force in my life and and really take it in and allow it to transform me that's when you begin to discover like what is this and how does it show up in my life
0: hmm. interesting um so so like let's take for example the, this stillness um would there also be any type of um rituals involved I mean, if there's no entities then there's nothing to really call upon Well, you're
1: calling on that state and experience of stillness, so you could come up with a ritual for that. Mm -hmm. You know, for one thing, one thing that I found really useful, for example, um, would be ringing a bell and letting the sound fade away, and go to quiet, and then just contemplating that quiet and being really still with it and letting it seep through and then ringing the bell again. Um, stillness could be going out to the woods and, you know, finding a place where you just sit down and you just soak everything in and you take it in and you're just allowing yourself to really be there without having to interact or do anything else. Now, now again, some people would say, well, how is that a ritual? And my, my response to that would be, well, it can become a ritual when you approach it from the perspective of how do I want to take this experience and show up in it and turn it into something that is significant for me. And allows me to connect outside of the normative bounds of consciousness that I'm normally operating in. You know, Mm -hmm. am I letting go of my thoughts, for example? Am I reaching to a place where I'm really just being present and still and there's nothing else going on? But I'm just here. Those are the things that I'm talking about with that work. And those things can become ritualistic in their own right. It doesn't have. We don't always have to work with a spirit or entity in order to do magical workings or to do rituals. I mean, those they certainly play their role, but they shouldn't be the end all, be all of the work we do either.
0: So, if I was working with stillness, like the first thing that pops into my mind is like, say, for example, a rock. You know, because a rock's just going to sit there; it's not going to move. It's still all the time. Mm-hmm. And say I, I I pick up that rock and I kind of really focus on stillness with it. And then try to use it as a talisman, would that be be an actual type of of working?
1: Yeah, that could be an actual type of working, sure. Where that rock basically uh, becomes an anchor for you to trigger that state of stillness uh, in an association, definitely.
0: Interesting. You know, I don't think that a lot of people wouldn't think of magic as being something that simple. (laughs)
1: And yet and yet simplicity is sometimes the best magical work, you know, going simple, going simple can be very profound. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can come up with very elaborate rituals You can have, you know, all kinds of different things, you know, the bells and the whistles and all that. And it all has its role. And I mean, I've done rituals like that and, and they can be very powerful. But there's something to be said equally for just being doing something simple. And allowing that simplicity to to move you and work with you, we don 't always have to do something in order like something complex in order to make it work. What we need to do is be willing to really open ourselves up to the experience without having to automatically make it more than it has to be
0: mm-hmm. yeah i I mean that sounds really really is kind of profound is to kind of. We overlook something. Like if something's simple, I think sometimes our automatic response is to dismiss it because it's a simple fact. Because it's simple. Like, oh, well, this is simple. This is obvious. So I'm just going to dismiss it and look for something more. And, and, I, and that's maybe one of the issues even with the whole human condition sometimes.
1: I have a class on, uh, in my Magical Experiments University where I have a bunch of different classes. But one of the classes is called Low Effort Magic. And in low effort magic. The idea really is that you you link your you you put as little effort into your magical work as possible to get the result. Because what you do is you link it to what you're already doing. Like let's say you're doing a job hunt. You know you have to find a job. Well, you already know that you're you're going to be putting out resumes. You already know you're going to be doing interviews. You already know that you're going to be hitting the job boards and doing stuff. That's a lot of activity right there. So why not do a magical working where you link that activity into the magical working and use it to feed the magical working in order to help you get the job that's a very simple way to do things it's low effort because at the end of the day you're already using the existing effort to help you get to the result that you want to get to you're just adding a bit of magic into the mix and it's simple but it's effective the best, I'm not saying that you always have to go simple, but some of the best solutions out there for problems is to go simple. You don't have to make things more complicated than they are. And When you learn to make them less complicated, you can actually get to a solution better because you're not letting that, you're not letting that complexity, you're not letting that, you're not letting that, you're, you're not building needless complexity into the work that you're doing. Instead, you're, you're shaving away anything that's needless and letting it go to focus in on what is absolutely essential.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's admittedly a minimalistic approach to magic. And, and again, I, I think that, you know, some people might say, well, minimalistic approach means I got to get rid of all my tools and stuff. And I'd be like, no, that's not the case. Maybe your minimalistic approach really is that you, you, you know, you pull out your, you pull out your athame, you pull out the candles, you, you carve the candles, you do other things. With those that can still be, a very powerful working. And yes, there can be some compl- some complexity in it. But you've determined that that was the amount of complexity you needed. You didn't you didn't do anything else with it. You mm-hmm. focused on fo- you focused in on absolute what was absolutely needed and nothing more. It's when you build more into something than you need that you create needless complexity and needless complexity basically creates for lack of better word, a fog, if you will, around what you're doing, because at that point, you're you're getting so caught up in trying to do all the things instead of focusing on doing the thing that needs to be done.
0: How important is it to focus intent? Whether Does intent play a big role?
1: I, You know, I hesitate with the word intent. It's become such a buzzword and not just not just in magic and occultism, but in the New Age movement and even in, in modern, even in mainstream culture. And I think we really need to define that word carefully. What do we mean by intent? And, of course, we also have to explore conversely with that the word impact. You know, we can have good intentions and have bad impact. You know, like I meant to do this and it was for this reason, but here's the impact. And it's having a negative effect on somebody's life that I didn't want it to have. So I use that word intent very carefully. I mean, I I, kind of look at it as, okay, well, what, what am I bringing into the magical working? What do I... What is it that I want to bring in? And how do I want that working to turn out? That's where I think of in terms of intent. But I also leave a question in there, but do I know how it will absolutely turn out? Can I predict 100%? And the answer is I can't predict 100%. I mean, intent is not something that automatically, is just putting intent into something doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, I can intend to be a good person. That doesn't mean I'm a good person. It just means I put intent toward it. Hmm. What are the actions? you know, what, what are the actual things that you're doing and how are they actually contributing to the situation? And then how are you, how are you as best as possible considering everything that could come out of it? You know, a lot of times, you know, people will get focused on the result, but not look at the, at the impact. And and that can in and of itself be, um, you know, a very useful exercise because when you suddenly realize, well, oh, here's the impact, you know, here's the situation. I I had good intentions, Mm -hmm. but it created this result. And then the consequences from that result wasn't what I wanted. Well, you know, you learn something valuable from it, certainly. Maybe one of the (laughs) things that you learn is that intent is not the end all be all because like you intended that. Well, what if that intention really gets you? I think like when I look at intent, I was when I look at magical workings in general and I try to map out the magical working, I really try to look at not just the the short-term result, the long-term consequences. And I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to say here that I always get it right. I mean, if, 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 you know, because the fact of the matter is I certainly make a mess of things enough in my own life at times that I don't always get it right. I mean, I'm, I'm a human being like anyone else. And, uh, you know, we, we can all be very valuable beings, but I think that one of the things that I've, I've become more appreciative of over the years is that, you know, even the best laid plans, uh, You know, know, there's going to be variables you can't anticipate. So you just do the best you can and then you you take it and you work with it as best you possibly can in order to get you where you want to go. But you also accept that sometimes you just don't know and that you're just going to have to deal with things as they come out.
0: Right. So, So almost like maybe a better way of describing it is trying to work towards a particular probability
1: yeah that's a good way i mean i that's that's kind of a lot of how i do my own magical work you know i work toward a probability what's the probable outcome that i can achieve how likely is it what are the fact what are the things that i have to encounter and plan for in order to get around it these are all things that are worth thinking about and considering
0: that makes sense because life is pretty much just that it's just a bunch of probabilities interesting it makes it easier too like like I never really thought about – actually, what do you – I want to ask your opinion Uh, because this is something I've been thinking about a lot because in some of the older magic and even like in the new age stuff, there's all this stuff sort of about the law of attraction. Now, you know, I understand like as far as it being a vibration, like like if I'm vibrating at a certain thing, I'm probably going to attract things in the same frequency range like a radio is tuning into something. However, um, then there's the probability factor though, which is a little bit different. Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to limit my scope of probability instead of attracting something, I'm trying to move towards a specific probability. So rather than trying to pull something towards me, I'm trying to create a path towards for myself in a direction, um, could do, 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 do those two things sort of work together and have you ever found yourself thinking about like you know which is it? am i attracting something or am I narrowing down my my actions to head towards a specific goal
1: I've done both i mean they're, they're, and it's possible to do both i you know I think with like with with the concept of attraction it's like well what can i what possibilities can I attract toward me that that's something I did this summer um I needed to I had, uh, you know, I was in the process of a job hunt. I'd gotten a divorce and needed to kind of rebuild my life from scratch. And so I started to really look at, like, what can I attract toward me? You know, and initially I was just doing DoorDash as a way to kind of make some easy money while I, I just sorted through stuff in my head and heart. And then as time went on, I really I um, started to, like, think about, well, what do I really want? What can I really do? And I focused first on my initial, the, the short-term survival. I needed to find a job that was going to be a bit steadier and was going to have, um, was going to have health insurance, you know, that, and, and would provide me some base level of stability. And then I, I got that. And then I started focusing on, well, now I need to find a home. I need to find a place. And I started to attract, and, and, and when I did that, that's when I flipped it from attraction toward I need to focus in on a path. I determined I was going to move to a different city I determined that I wanted to see what could happen in that city um, and, and what could possibly be explored there. And so I started focusing in on, well, now I need to find a place and the, the rent market at the time was, well, it's still su- super saturated, <laughs> yeah. but I found a place um, pretty easily within like a, uh, within a week. And it was, it was just a case of, of being able to angle in on, on what was available um, and, and, and narrowing that path down and being able to, to narrow it down toward, like, the things that I wanted and what I didn't want. I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, I, I got into a conversation with somebody the other day where they're, they're saying, you know, I'm doing this magic to attract someone into my life. And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, if you want to do that, go for it. But I said, but then they said, you know, but I always seem to attract the crazy. And I'm like, well, have you factored in what you don't want? <laughs> and they're like, well, no, I don't. I haven't because, you know, you're not supposed to. do. That. I said, I think if anything, that's what you should absolutely be doing what don't you want? What do you want and what don't you want? What are the things you do not want? You know, I think it's worthwhile to, defi- to define that because when you figure out what you don't want, it makes it a lot easier to figure out what you do want. And I think that when people only focus on what they want, they're missing out on something essential, which is what don't you want. They're missing out on, on actually taking the time to define that. And part of it, I think, is there's this, this, this weird kind of superstition, really, that like, if you define what you don't want, you're actually going to bring it into your life. And I disagree with that. If you define what you don't want, you're going to recognize when it starts to come into your life and you're going to steer aside from it. And you're going to angle in on what you do want. And when you know what you want, as well as what you don't want, it makes it a lot easier to get what you want because you're not letting that thing get in the way, that thing you don't want. You're not letting it get in the way of what you do want.
0: That's interesting because that used to always bother me because, you know, I would always think of some of the things that I don't want, but then I always heard that thing, uh, that idea of like, well, if you think about things or say things that you don't want, you're going to attract it because you're automatically thinking about it and planting that seed into your subconscious and it's going to grow and automatically attract that because the subconscious and the superconscious don't know the difference.
1: And I but, disagree with that. I think that they do. I think that we I think that we really um, I think people fundamentally who hold on to that very limiting belief about that are, are, are actually hurting themselves more because when you take the time to define what you don't want, what you're really doing is you're doing yourself a favor. You're saying this is what I do not want. This does not help me. This actually hurts and hinders me. And I need to recognize it. If I can recognize that red flag, then I will actually make sure that I don't fall for it, that I don't come into it, that I don't have this experience that ends up being very mm, where I'm actually getting I'm actually getting this thing. So, so, you know, I think the problem, too, is like if you only focus on what you want, but you don't define what you don't want, then you don't know if what you got actually has some things you don't want.
0: It makes so much sense. Your relationship example, too, makes so much sense of using both probability and attraction. Because you can narrow down the probability pretty much by defining what you want and what you don't want. And then you can try to attract.
1: Yeah, you work the probabilities into your favor. Because now you know what you don't want as well as what you do want. And so you're able to identify... When you're starting to get something that you don't want,
0: cool.
1: you can steer your way. You can steer yourself away from it, and, and this is a very, very, very simple thing to do, but it's a very important thing to do. But I think if more people did it, they would have better results with their magic. Figure out what you don't want. Figure out what you do want. You know, <laughs> use what you don't want to guide you toward what you do want. Because oh, I don't want this. Okay, well then I need to move over here. Oh, that's what I want. Boom, I got it.
0: It makes so much sense. I would say for like a couple of years early on when I first started reading about the occult and this kind of stuff, I I think I wasted a lot of time fighting with my own thoughts. Like, oh, don't think about what you don't want. (laughs) Don't think about what you don't want. Well, that that just makes you think about it even more. I spent more time (laughs) hung up on that factor rather than just dealing with what, you know, things right. in a logical well, way like like here's what i don't want here's what i want <laughs> this well, is what and I here's do. the
1: thing when you define what you don't want you no longer have to think about it mm-hmm. you just know i don't want this okay you're not putting any more energy toward it you're yeah. not attracting it you're not like, letting it obsess you I don't whereas want if you're crazy. like oh don't think about what i don't want don't think about what i don't want well guess what you, you exactly. are going to attract it at that point because that's what you're doing you're thinking about it you're drawing it in whereas if you're just like no i don't want this thing
0: Right. Okay, so, so, now so, I know what I don't want. So writing that into a book almost makes people <laughs> attract what they don't want because they're going to be obsessing with not think, trying not to think about what they don't want. <laughs> right. It's going to be like completely counterproductive.
1: It really is. And it doesn't, it doesn't help in any, way, in any meaningful way.
0: <laughs> That's pretty cool. I've never really talked about it or thought about this before. You know, but yeah, I do remember, you know, I guess I was probably in my mid 20s, like around 24, 25 when I was going through that phase of, you know, reading all these different books on the occult. And, you know, that that would pop up quite a bit in the books that I was reading at that time. And, uh, And I ended up attracting a whole lot of stuff that I didn't want. Exactly. So <laughs> now I kind of know why. It's one of the
1: worst pieces of advice I've ever seen. That is cr-
0: crazy. Um, so w- when you do, like, like say you, you, you've figured out what you don't want, you, you know what you want. Um, you know, you got your certain elements to use, too, to get that result. Um, I mean, you
1: can use as many elements as you want mm-hmm. you can do i mean it again, again, it comes down to what the parameters are in my case for the for the work uh for finding a place down down here where I live now, I did a work with the um, planetary energy of Saturn and mm-hmm. really worked with very worked with defining the parameters, creating very specific limitations in terms of what I was looking for. And then using that to help me hone in on what I wanted and what I didn't want. And that helped me get where I needed to go. So that wasn't even working with an elemental energy. But I mean, you could do the same thing with elemental energies or or things along those lines. You just, again, that comes down to the relationship you develop, you know, with it. So, I mean, like, for example, if I'm going to use the element of fire, I might say, okay, I've got this element of fire here that I've worked with extensively And I'm going to use it to help me find, I'm going to use it to burn away away what I don't want. You know, so I'll take, I'll create a list of things I don't want and I'll plop them into the flame. And then what I'll be left with is what I do want. And what I'll do then is I will carve that in, I, I, I might carve what I do want into the candle itself so that when the candle burns down, as the candle's burning down, it's manifesting this thing. So I'm burning away what I don't want while manifesting the thing that I do want. That's an example right there of how you could apply, um, you know, the element of fire. And again, a very, very simple thing. Doesn't have to be elaborate. It just ends up being one of those cases where you're, you're, you're creating this very specific context around what you want or what you don't want.
0: Hmm. Very practical.
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm a very practical magician. I mean, you really am. And, and, and it served me well. You know, you don't have to make things more complicated than they have to be. You just have to know what you want and what you don't want. You make it, you can make it as, as simple or as complicated as you want, but with, with complications, just keep in mind that you're always building, the more complications you build into things, the more variables you're dealing with that don't necessarily need to be dealt with and become distractions.
0: It's kind of like we make making anything really, the more parts you add to it, the more that can go wrong.
1: Yeah. And the le- and, 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 and that's 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 really that's really kind of a necessary factor that has to be kept into play. Like, OK, the more I build into this, the more it goes wrong. So instead of building more into it, why don't I just focus in on what I really what I absolutely need? And no more, no more than that. No more, no less. Just what I need. And and some people might find such a practical approach to be a little unromantic, Mm -hmm. you know, because I mean, magic is, in in some ways, I think people who get into magic, you you know, there's kind of a romanticism, if you will, like doing the magical rituals and everything else. But I would say to that, well, you know, that has its place. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, there's an aesthetic aspect to it. But if we're really looking at, like, how do I get what I want? How do I turn something that I want into a reality? That's where we have to necessarily question and examine what we're doing and uh and, and turn it into a reality and it's it's just it's not something that just happens it's something where you have to be willing to take this thing that you're you're working toward and and, and, and again kind of come down to this well here's here's what i absolutely need in order to get it and and again you know it you can build that into a magical working and have some complexity into it. You can say, okay, I need the incense for this. I need this thing because I'm creating a very specific atmosphere. Fair enough. You just need to know why you're doing it. And I think sometimes, like, if you don't, if you don't examine the why of it, you, you understand the how of it. But if you don't examine the why of it, you don't necessarily question where you could improve upon it or tra- change it or, or do something different with it as a result.
0: Hmm. So where did you move to?
1: Uh, I moved to Eugene, Oregon. Oregon? Hmm. I've been in Oregon b- before this. I was up in Portland. I just moved down two hours south, basically.
0: Oh. Interesting. We were thinking about going to Oregon to visit a friend in a few months. I might be up there. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so your other book, the m- most recent book, is on, uh, it's like Inner Alchemy.
1: Inner alchemy of internal work. Yep.
0: Um, so so what, what is that one about? Are we are we uh, burning salt and sulfur and mercury in test tubes and creating a no,
1: toxic no, environment? No, we're not doing that. I mean, that's laboratory <laughs> alchemy. Um, but no, what we're dealing with is, is the internal work component of, of, of working with ourselves. Uh, the meditation practice, like we were talking about before. Um, You know, recognizing and identifying the things within yourself where you need to bring change into your life, recognizing um, just just the need to do work on yourself. Like, you know, whether it's breathing meditations or other things along those lines, Um, it's 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 really about this. The concept of internal work is this like, you know, I have internal internal work is 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 really kind of like, what do you do to clean out the gunk in your head and your heart? so that your head and your heart and, and the rest of you are focusing. But there's also internal practices in terms of taking good care of yourself. Like I do Qigong each day. So Qigong, you know, working with the energy of the body, working with your health, that becomes internal work as well. So it's not even just not even just like psychological work or stuff like that. It's also, it is very much, there's an energetic component to it as well. It's a refinement of your energy, a refinement of who and what you are in order to produce a specific outcome. Hmm
0: so so, say, for example, you know, after going through my current divorce, my gunk is i't you know depression and anger how- How could I use the inner alchemy to help um work with you know to to i don't know I don't we word to get rid of those things is the proper word, but to to work with them to to transform them into something that's gonna be of value to me rather than something that's gonna Hold me back.
1: So I recently went through a divorce myself. And, um, and I actually wrote the book during the divorce. <laughs> it proved to be very helpful in a way. And I was dealing with a lot of depression and anger and other things. And, I mean, part of it came right down to I found, I found practices that I could do each day that would allow me to be present with those emotions. I wasn't trying to get rid of them. I wasn't trying to change them because I found that the more I tried to change them,
0: the more they
1: stayed. (laughs) You know, at a certain point, I just had to surrender to the experience and accept that I was going to feel depressed. I was going to feel angry. I was going to feel sad. I was going to have moments in the car when I was driving around delivering food where I would be yelling over the unfairness of it all and that everything had happened the way that it happened. I was going to have moments where I was going to be like, oh, my gosh, I've upended my entire life. I've, I've I've lost everything because I couldn't stay any longer where I was, and it's it's an interesting thing whether you're the person who is initiating the divorce or the person who's who's being divorced. You're both going to have those experiences. I mean, it, it, it's it, and so I think you know it part of the internal work too was having this very human and empathetic understanding that like my ex-wife was going through her own experiences and having some compassion for that knowing that that you know this person that i, I loved and still love but that we couldn't be together any longer that, that that it was something where i could identify with that and grieve and allow myself to feel it and the internal work came into play because as i was going and doing Gong each day you know doing these doing these exercises or i was doing breathing meditation or i was doing whatever else it was that i was doing yeah, you know, I really invited it in and I allowed it to be there. And by allowing it to be there, I started to allow it to transform my life in a way that was healthy for me because I was no longer I wasn't holding on to it and letting it define me. Instead, I was choosing to accept it and work through it and release it and then taking what was left and using it to help me move forward with my life. It wasn't an easy process. I mean, divorce is never an easy process. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm still very much dealing with the fallout of of my um, divorce. You know, in terms of getting my life on track, I'm, I'm finally to a place where it's it's seemingly coming together. And I'm sure you can relate to that yourself, having oh, yeah. you know gone through the same thing. You know, it, it takes time. You know, you go, you have this experience. you are like, okay, now I'm getting divorced, and I'm losing I'm losing things. You know, I'm losing security. I'm losing you know I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with this person. I thought all these other things now it's gone and then you know you you come out of that and you start to experience other things like you you discover new possibilities new relationships other things like that and and all those things can be beautiful things but they can also be things that bring with them a lot of it can bring a lot of other stuff with it you know you can feel a sense of guilt for example uh, around you know like oh I'm, I'm i'm with this other person and they're getting the benefit of the results uh, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, of, of of all the previous work that I've done. And again, you just have to learn to be present with those things. It's not an easy experience or feeling. I mean, sometimes it's very haunting. But mm. it's a feeling that can help you. If, if you can do internal work, whether it's through meditation or Qigong or, or some other kind of practice, it can help you begin to transform that and turn it into energy that relie- that you are able to use to release. To empower your life and move it forward in the right direction. And you're also able to start forgiving yourself and forgiving the other person. And I think that's really crucial with this stuff. And I'm not saying it's an easy process. It's not. It's hard. But we have to learn. At the same time, we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be permanently defined by the anger and the depression, the sadness and the grief? Or are we going to find a way to transform it and turn it into something that helps us become better because we take these lessons and we say, okay, I want to move forward and not do this and make the same mistakes that I made before.
0: Yeah. I think I would rather move forward and not make the same mistakes.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's true for anyone. I, I would hope that's true for anyone. I, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's not an easy thing. I mean, it is very easy to make those mistakes too. I mean, I, I you know, again, you think you're not going to, and then you do, or, or you make a different variant, variant of that mistake, and you got to sit with that, too. I mean, that's, but that's part of life, and that's where internal work comes into play because internal work allows us to experience some compassion for ourselves, and I think that's really important. Speaking think- as someone who has punished himself way too much sometimes and been way too hard on himself, I can tell you that sometimes the most profound experience was learning to let go of things and not punish myself anymore.
0: I would say that's been the hardest thing for me going through this is um, one is like, you know, trying to figure out what I've done wrong and then beating myself up for for some of those things. Because I know some of the things that I've, I know what I've done wrong. And some of it, it's like almost things that I'm not really able to change. They're things that I really more have to learn to live with. And I kind of beat that's myself true. up a little bit with it, you know?
1: And beating yourself up is just denying that part of yourself. I mean, it's like in my case, I'm a very intense person. That intensity is not easy for, for just anyone to be with. I can beat myself up for it, or I can learn to accept it and accept that, you know, that that it's always going to be a part of my life, that maybe I can find some different ways to work with it so that it's not so much on a person, but that it's always going to be there. It's who I am, mm-hmm. you know, And and beating myself up over it is not going to help. I'm going to turn the light on here just because it's getting darker on my end. Right. So just give me one second. <laughs> that way I don't fade <laughs> to black here. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, and that's that's just the thing. Like, you can't, you can, you can beat your, you can only, you can do, you can only do so much. At a certain point, like, you can beat yourself up over everything that you've done wrong or you can accept it and be like, well, this is where I mess things up.
0: Yeah. I think for me, like, I'm just going to warn anybody I get in a relationship, like, look, you know, I'm super obsessive when I start something and and that's just it. That's how I am. You know, I just am like hyper focused type of person because cause I think that's one of the things that's really messed me up But it's something I can't change either. And it, And it's also benefited me a lot too. I mean, that's how I've done 350 episodes <laughs> in a year.
1: I, well, yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing. You can do that. You can you can give that warning. The, the, the caveat I'm going to give to you on that one is, yes, you can give that warning and you can tell somebody, but telling them and them actually experiencing it are two different <laughs> things. Like you can say, look, I get hyper obsessive. I just want to warn you. Oh, yeah, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Come to find out a little bit. It, like, well, no, I'm really not okay with it. Well, I warned you. Yeah, but you warning me didn't really tell me what the actual experience was going to be like. It but you know at the same time you can't again you can't change you can only change yourself so much you know and and, and this becomes more and more true the older you get as well I, I mean not that you're <laughs> yeah. fixed in stone, but at a certain point you also have to be like, okay, I accept myself for the way that I am
0: mhm yeah and, and it's better to i think you know to be comfortable with some of that and like like for me with the obsessiveness. Like I say, it it benefits me in a lot of ways, you know, it might not benefit the person I'm with, but it definitely benefits me as far as being successful at whatever I'm doing.
1: And that, too, is kind of the thing that you kind of have to deal with. Well, you know, how much do I how much do I try to change something that does end up helping me? Maybe what you do is you negotiate a different relationship with it, Mm -hmm. you know. Maybe what you do is you, you you say, okay, I'm going to show some more awareness around this, and I'm going to try and do do things a bit differently. At the end of the day, you also just have to recognize, like, okay, this is who I am, this is what I am, and and beating yourself up over it and wishing you weren't that way or anything else like that just creates a lot more pain in your life. And and you know, life is too short; it's not worth it to be to to put yourself into that kind of pain.
0: Mm. And doing that too also might um do sort of like the same things like we were talking about earlier, you know, where we're you know, you're trying to um you end up cultivating the thing that you don't want in your life by, by, by fighting it. Yeah. And, and you know. So so then you create like a sort of a, a you know, a spiral basically that makes it really difficult to get out of.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Hmm. So with the inner alchemy, like, like um you know, you, you mentioned like meditation, breathing exercises. You know, obviously we were sort of talking about, you know, some self-awareness and, you know, working with ourselves and our feelings and who we are. Um, but what are some of the other techniques that, that are in there?
1: So, I mean, I have a a couple of energy techniques like where one where like you're 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 basically taking the the energetic blockages, the emotional blockages, and you're dissolving them. this is something I learned from Taoism, where you're taking the energy up to the top of your body and then you're just you're you're bringing it down your body and slowly bringing it down. And when you find a blockage like, you know, like like just imagine this is a blockage. You're just allowing that energy to flow around it and gradually melt it and then continue to work it and re- gradually release what it's containing the emotions the trauma all these other things and then afterwards you know you move on to the next one and you're doing this as a way to really profoundly um, release the things that otherwise define your life because a lot of times you know we become we think we think of our personality as being like this fixed immutable thing but it's really not it's 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 defined it's defined by a lot of times by the blockages that we have by the the structures that we put into place that really are more harmful than helpful to us, but they're things that we hold on to because it's a way for us to feel, quote unquote, safe. You know, our tensions end up defining us. So so one of the things, a lot of what I work through in there is how do you release those tensions? And I, I mean, I used to level with all of you here, you know, I am by no means the most successful person at this. I, I do the best I can. I think everyone does. You know, these techniques have helped me make make some progress over the years. But the truth of the matter is I'm, I'm a work in progress like anyone else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that that's really important to acknowledge, you know, because it can be very easy, I think, too, for people to get caught up in a notion of like. You can get caught up in a notion of who you are and other people can get caught up in a notion of who you are, but that doesn't mean that's who you are. It just means that in that moment, it's become a different form of tension. Right. And that tension in and of itself creates more tension and problems. Whereas if you learn to let go and release, it actually helps you discover who you really can be.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And and also one of the things that I, for me anyway, that I remind myself is that what the, the the being that I think I am now here in this particular dimension or space and time, whatever it isn't necessarily me, you know. Um, again, I don't know if you ever had any type of out of bodies experience or near death experience, oh, yeah, but yeah. but if you have, or you're like I have, I know that the me that that I you know sitting here talking to you isn't really the real me. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, I don't know some kind of weird manifestation that I can't explain.
1: Yeah. So, well, I mean. Again, that sense of self can be very illusory.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, who we think we are is not necessarily who we really are. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I, uh, one of the things that I do um, is I do a fair amount of journaling. And it's interesting because a lot of times, if you were to look at my journals and then you were to look at what I say, you'd find that, you know, there's a bit of a difference there. Well, I mean, my journals are where I really let out the stuff within me that I need to express. That's not necessarily the happiest part of myself, or the most wonderful part, or anything else. I could probably do a better job of expressing some of those things um, instead to people if I needed to, and and that's certainly something for me to work on. But I find that you know, it really it can be really you can be really uh, helpful um, because it allows me to kind of get stuff out and then really consider well. what is it that, who is it that I really want to be? What is it that I really want to be? You know, and these are things that I think are really absolutely important and essential. Um, and, and sometimes with internal work, that's where we, uh, you know, we have to find, we have fi- we have to find ways to, to get in touch with, our, with our, the parts of ourselves that maybe we would otherwise deny and ignore. I mean, there's sometimes where I'll look at something that I've written and I'll be like, I really don't like that person that wrote that. But that person's me. You know, that person needed to express that. Mm-hmm. And I can choose to not like that person, but that just creates more tension and resistance instead of actually working through things.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I've never done much journaling. I don't know why. I, I, I just... I mean, you know, different strokes for different people, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. But I will, like, some people will say, like, maybe... You know, oh, well, you're just being negative. And it's like, well, no, I don't really think I'm being negative. I think I'm just expressing how I feel at this particular moment so I don't have to feel it for another 10 minutes or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I don't know. Sometimes maybe I'm just too honest verbally. <laughs> I mean, I should just write shit down and <laughs> hide it in the closet somewhere.
1: Well, I mean, it has its advantages and disadvantages. You know, there's no one, two way about it. You you know, sometimes you just have to kind of decide for yourself, like, what you are going to do that's best for you. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I'll just tell you that there's no easy answer to that. I mean, I would say that, you know, maybe it would have benefited me better. Maybe it would benefit me better if I was more, quote unquote, honest or able to get in touch with. The parts of myself that are, you know, are basically able to speak to like what I'm really feeling or working through that I'm journaling about, but that I'm not necessarily sharing with who I need to share it with. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, journaling it out kind of allows me to really consider it and say, well, what is it I really want to say? Who, who is it? What is it that I really want to do? What, who is it I'm trying to talk with? Who is it what what is it I what is it I really mean? You know, some of this is stuff that I'm just disgorging because I need to get it out of my system. I don't need to think about it any further than that. I just needed to put it someplace so that I could look at it and be like, mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't really matter.
0: Oh yeah, I can I can see that being definitely a positive thing because that that brings you back to the self awareness, you know, being able to step out, look at it, and and recognize it. Kind of like meditation does. Yeah pretty cool um so what what are you working on now
1: well i'm working on actually the walking with elemental spirits so we've kind of drawn yeah. on some of that today in our conversation um i do have a book that i plan that i've partially written and that i want to get back to called the inner alchemy of wintering which actually explores uh, in more depth how do you deal with depression and grief and grievance and other things you know the hard things like When you're feeling the winter of your life, because I mean, going through divorce, I would safely say that, you know, I can safely say that a divorce is an experience of wintering, Mm -hmm. you know.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a good book. I might need that book.
1: Well, I hope to get to get right. You know, I started to write it and I was going through things and I'm like, I'm too close to this. I can't write it right now. Mm -hmm. It was too depressing. But I want to get back to it. um, And I'm hoping to after this book. That I'm working on now, the Walking with Elemental Spirits, and then I have some fiction I'm working on. Um, I've been writing. I've been writing a series called the Zombie Apocalypse Call Center. I just released the latest book called the Zombie Apocalypse Militia, which is like the seventh book in the series, and uh, it's it's just these funny. It, it's just this kind of these funny stories about call center workers dealing with uh, the zombie apocalypse and trying to help their customers survive um i'm getting ready to move into the i'm getting ready to move to the next series which is going to be a continuation of that but i don't want to tell you what that series Mm -hmm. is because then i'm giving away a fundamental plot line just by telling you it um so but i'm getting ready to write it um so that's going to come that's going to be happening after i finish a couple more occult books i want to knock a few books out on the on on magic because i haven't written since Inner Alchemy of, of of internal work, I haven't really written anything else this year. So I've kind of been I've kind of been I, I just needed to get away from writing about serious stuff for a while and just write something funny and humorous. and yeah. just, just to get away because my life was pretty depressing for a while.
0: I I get that. <laughs> you know, I spent twelve years working in a call center for Comcast. Mm. Interesting stuff, man.
1: Oh yeah, the things you hear, the way people treat you, all of that. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, it's incredible how uh, I don't know you, know. you know, that was actually hard for me at a certain point. I would say, like after about the first five years, I really started to burn out working in a call center because it's, because it's, I started to, to it, it, it started to deteriorate my faith in humanity.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I've had that experience myself working at a call center, and I'm, I'm actually I'm actually back working at one now um, for my day job, and it is, you know, you do burn out on it eventually. At a certain point, you're just kind of like, okay, like, you know, how hard is all of this stuff that you people need help with? Like, why can't you figure this out on your own, or you know, other things along those lines, and. I mean, that seems harsh and judgmental, but at a certain point it's, it's it's also just the way you get treated sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: that's what made it hard for me. You
1: know, and that's one of the things where I'm kind of like, okay, do you, know, what am I going to do about this? I mean, I love my writing and I'm I'm continuing to write more books and that's great. And I hope it really blows up and takes off. But you know, I've, I've, I've really, uh, you know, I kind of came to a decision point earlier this, uh, this, this, this month where I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to apply for, uh, going to apply to go back to school and get like a counselor's degree and become a counselor Hmm. why because i mean if i'm going to work with people with their problems i'd rather do that than work with them in call center work you know Mm -hmm. undoubtedly it's not going to be nearly as um, obnoxious (laughs) as it would be otherwise and i think that that's really um important so i mean you know you, you kind of have to decide like what are you going to do and and of course, I mean, some people would say, well, you just stick it out and do the best you can. But it's like, when you hit burnout, you hit burnout. I mean, I hit burnout after two and a half years at the one job. And then I had uh, about, about a year off from it, you know, because, you know, for a while there it was like, oh, I'm gonna write full time. And, and then, you know, things just kind of went south in other ways. Um, but it, you know, you just you just hit a certain point where you're like, okay, well, here I am back again, I can do this, but do I really want to? And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll do it. I mean, it's stable money right now, and that's good. And I'm doing some door dashing as well. And, of course, continuing to write my books and doing some other things. So I'm finding different ways to bring income in. But, you know, do I really want to do this? That's always the question.
0: Yeah, yeah. My my plan is just I'm hoping that I only have to work another year and then I can just podcast full time.
1: Well, that'd be cool. Yeah. that happens for you. Yeah. I,
0: I, I think it's possible. I think in a year it'll be doable. And you know, actually, the job I got now—I I applied for a job but I didn't know what it was for—and he hired me over the phone before I even moved back to New Jersey. And um, and I'm working like in a group home with like um, like with like uh, mentally disabled adults, and it's really cool. <laughs> I love it.
1: That's cool. Yeah, you know, very cool.
0: So, I don't know. things kind of work out. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather they do. I would rather do that than than get yelled at by people over. The, you know, that's one of the things that always bothers me. People would call me and ask me for help, and then yell at me when I was trying to help them.
1: No, because to... a lot of times in call <laughs> center work, it's um, you know people are kind of like, "Well, I'm angry about this. I'm angry about that," and um, you know it's 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 very much a case of how do you how do you really deal with that in a way that is, um, you know, because they're frustrated. They're not even frustrated with you. You just happen to be the person that they're Mm -hmm. taking it back on and taking it out on. And that's where I think it really kind of becomes a, um, it just becomes a, it, it just becomes its own, its own experience and it can be a pretty depressing thing. So, I mean, I think that, you know, knowing that, you can kind of be like, you know, I don't really, I don't want to deal with that. But maybe that's what I have to deal with. And uh, it it just becomes its own, uh, its own thing. You know, so how do you deal with that? And I mean, that's where internal work has helped me sometimes being able to let that stuff go and being able to put it aside. Uh, but again, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, well, I don't, you know, this isn't what I really want to deal with. And that's why I think, you know, it's also good, like to take action, like, you know, we're, if we're magicians, we have to be willing to look at our circumstances and say, like, I'm not going to settle for this. I'm going to do something about it. And like in my particular case, I decided, yeah, I'm not going to settle for this. I'm going to do something about it. And the way I decided to do something about it was, you know, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do this job for right now while I also look at improving my circumstances and getting myself into a different line of work that I think will be more fulfilling for me.
0: I think, I think too, for you with that the way you crank out books. Is incredible. I don't know anybody who writes as many books as you.
1: Well, I have to continue cranking those books out there. Believe me. I mean, I'm definitely working on it, but you know, I think it's, and I think it's really important that I'm doing that, but it's also good for me to just recognize and know that, you know, this isn't really that, that, you know, yes, this is a great way for me to bring some extra income in and maybe it'll become, it'll get to the point where it's truly viable And I'm Mm -hmm. making enough that I can support myself. But in the meantime, I'm going to find other ways too. You know, you have to be innovative in this Mm. day and age. And I think that that's really important.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. Definitely. So before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you?
1: Uh, They can find me at MagicalExperiments.com. And uh, they can find me on Facebook as Taylor Elwood. And uh, they can... um, I mean, those are basically the best places to find me. Right. So go to the Magical Experiments, and of course, if you search on Amazon or other book sites, you'll see you'll see my books as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome! Well, I'll put a link to those in the notes of this episode, and Thank you very um, much. so my listeners can check out your site because you have some courses, your books, all kinds of stuff there. Yes, I do. Got, like I said, uh, it's also yeah,
1: it's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, feel free to check all of that out.
0: Oh, great, man. It was really nice talking to you again. Thank you for taking the time to be on today.
1: Thank you. Take care.
0: You too. Hang on one second. I just got to play the outro.
2: LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guarantee. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again, thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cotulio.